Thanks, Dan. And I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be there this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. And I hope that you can open your Bibles there and follow along with me as we continue our study there. uh, I'll be reading the first nine verses here just to get us started. But realize this, that in last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, (coughs) holding to a form of godliness although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. Among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men oppose the truth, men of a depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith, but they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janus and Jambres' folly was also. Let's pray one more time. Lord, I pray that as we read your word, that you would make it uh, alive for us. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would apply it to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. The verse opens here with, um, but realize this, that in difficult, in, in the last days, difficult times will come. This is Paul's last letter. He has just 30 more, 39 more verses to write in the Bible. 31 sentences, then his contribution to the canon of scripture will be over. The apostle will have finished his race and finished his course. So in terms of winding, coming through third, winding home and coming through third and going home, the apostle is really on his way home. So in these final words to Timothy, his beloved disciple, Paul, he, he makes this, uh, this statement that realize this, that in, in the last days, difficult times will come. Well, one of the reasons that I like to read the Bible is that it's intensely realistic. It deals with things as they are and not necessarily as the way I would like them to be or the way that I imagine them to be. And so here, Paul deals with things just as they will be. And he wants Timothy to know these things in advance. When you and I were uh, in 
in college or high school, I don't know if they, I'd probably do this in, in high school as well. You take a science class in high school, high school chemistry, physics, college. Maybe you can't remember those days. But, uh, you know, they ask you to make certain assumptions when you're solving problems. Um, you know, they ask you to assume ideal circumstances. Um, um, for those that are the MEs in the audience, you know, you assume zero friction. You know, for those that had some, remember some chemistry, you, you, assume, you assume no change in temperature. You, you buy a car, and, and they advertise the gas mileage. And you go, well, I never really get that, get that gas mileage. Well, how was it measured? You know, it was under ideal conditions. All the tires were inflated to a certain pressure, you know, perfect temperature, and it was, and it was tested under those circumstances. Your Christian life and my Christian life, they are not lived out under ideal situations. Uh, we must deal with things just as they are. And, and, and sometimes that means to live a life and live in a life where our environment and the, the situation in which we find ourselves is really rather unpleasant and difficult. But God's word is written here to be a light for our path. It guides us and gives us instruction. It helps us to, it sets expectation about what to expect and how we ought to handle ourselves as we live life under less than ideal circumstances. And so here we come to 2 Timothy chapter 3. As I said, there's just 31 more sentences to go that Paul will write. He, has, he will soon say, you know, uh, I, have, I, have, I know that um, the time of my departure has come in, in 2 Timothy 4.6. A companion to 2 Timothy is 2 Peter. 2 Peter is also a book that was written as that apostle was coming to a conclusion of his life and his ministry. And in, in, in the book of, of letter of 2 Peter, he writes that he, he says, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is eminent. And Peter also says something very similar to what Paul says. He says, in the last days, mockers will come. It's interesting to see that both uh, Paul and Peter, as they write their final letter, they have this, they have this warning that they want to give. They have this, this uh, communication that they want to pass along, Peter to the churches and, and Paul to his beloved disciple Timothy, that in the last days, mockers will come, or in the last days, difficult times will come. And he's not interested so much in, you know, talking about, you know, climate change or economic difficulty. He wants to inform them about people, people that have ideas that are not consistent with the truth, people that have ideas that are not aligned with the scripture, and people that are, by all ways of measure are difficult. And so we've got this warning before us in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9, and it's something that is told to us beforehand. And so when I think about this message and what's, what's the purpose here? What does the Lord have for us here in this section that we read? That, did you count how many commas there were? It's just like, whoa, this is going on and on. 
Um, it is a warning. It's a warning about certain men that are going to come. And as I, as I mentioned, 2 Peter, chap, uh, 2 Peter is a very parallel book in many ways. And what, what Peter does in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17, I'd kind of like to use that as my theme statement for the message this morning. 2 Peter 3.17 says this. It says, uh, Therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men. Did, did you have that? So Paul is talking about some difficulty that's going to come. And Peter did something very similar in 2 Peter. And, and Peter concludes his epistle with, Knowing this beforehand, knowing what beforehand, what I just told you, knowing the warnings that I've told you just beforehand, be on your guard against the error of unprincipled men so that you will not fall from your own steadfastness. I'm aware that with COVID and, and who's got COVID, who's got, who's got a fever, you know, and, and all the things that are going, we can kind of get a little bit fatigued in terms of being on your guard. And I realize that this, like, you know, I'm tired of being on my guard. You know, I, I'm up, I'm, I'm done with that. Well, you know, we have the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us and who strengthens us day to day and gives us the strength from one day to the next. As Christians, we go from strength. You say, oh, I got no more strength. Well, the Bible says we go from strength to strength. And so, in some sense, we always need to remain vigilant for some of the things that are outlined here in the Scripture. And God would have us, as we go verse by verse in our family Bible hour, this is our passage for today. And so this is our reminder today. As we look at verses 1 through um, one through 9, uh, I'd, like to, uh, I'd like to break it down into these three sections, looking at these who uh, are our opposition. Uh, verses 1 through 5, their character. How are they described? Uh, verses 6 through 7, their strategy. And verses 8 through 9, their mission. First, let's take a look at their character. You know, there was, a, there was a number of commas there. And it's like, whoa, this is a long list. And it is a long list. Um, when we see a list like this, we're, we're impacted not only by the severity of each of the individual things that are in the list. I mean, treacherous, um, brutal. I mean, but we're also impacted by the number of them. And not just the characteristics and the number of them, but... Which things are combined in the list? Which things make the list? Uh, I mean, you've got, you've got disobedient to parents here, which is not that far away from treacherous. Now, maybe some parents are saying, well, you don't know my kids, but, you know, and then, and then you've got ungrateful that's just up the road from brutal. And so it's like, wow, you know, it's really, it's really quite a list, isn't it? It's really quite a list. And, and actually, interestingly enough, in Romans chapter 1, there's a very similar list. And, um, and, it, and the passage in Romans chapter 1 concludes it with, uh, and actually it's in Romans 2, 1, that uh, for that in which you condemn yourself, uh, for, you judge, for you who judge practice the same things. You, we read a list like this, and it's just like, oh, you know, I've, I've got some work to do, or oh, I'm glad I'm not like that. And, and Paul in Romans says, you know, be careful how you judge, because, 
you know, you who judge are guilty of the same things. In another place in, in 2 Corinthians, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 11, Paul would say, you know, that, uh, and such were some of you, and listing out a list of sins. But that's not really what Paul is doing here in our passage that we have today. Uh, the, the, the passage that we have today in, the, in this list here is, is an interesting list because th- this list is a list that is basically describing people that hold to a form of godliness and yet they deny its power. It's all outward. These are people who live this way and their lives are characterized by these things. Um, this isn't just a difficult week. This is something that's characteristic of their life. And, and, and they are basically, um, uh, they're on a spiritual masquerade. Uh, this list isn't really a list for our sanctification. This is a list where, you know, these individuals, they purport to be Christians and they're not. Um, They sound Christian, they look Christian, they sing and lift their hands like a Christian, but they are not truly Christian. It's just a veneer. They hold to a form of godliness. Uh, You think about that, that phrase. It's not even holding to a form of religion. It's holding to a form of godliness. It's like, wow, you know, if Paul is going to give an instruction that here's a list of people who are on masquerade, that their Christianity isn't real, it's not genuine, and one of the instructions that he's going to give is, you need to avoid these people. It kind of gets a little bit tricky when we learn that they hold to a form of godliness, but they deny its power. Uh, If you think about that, you know, godliness is like a holy reverence or respect for God. And maybe, they're, maybe they have the right words. Maybe they, maybe they sound just so you know, genuine and so true by what they say. But that's where it stops. Their, their words, their intellect, their lives don't match. It's all just a coming to Sunday kind of thing. It's all just a, when you meet someone like that and you have some commonality, you, church, you talk about church type things. Their lives don't match. Their lives are a shamble. If you look under the hood, you would find out, whoa, you know, there's real trouble here. Uh, you know, they're, not, they're not obvious. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 15, Paul says there that, that even Satan describes himself as an angel of light. And you think about that, it's like, you know, oh, you know, I can, I, can, I, can, I can see Satan a mile away. I can tell. It's like, really? You know, Satan describes himself as an, he disguises himself as an angel of light. And in that passage in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 15, it goes on to say, therefore, it's not surprising that if, that if I have it here on a, on a screen, um, therefore, it's not surprising that if, His servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds. And so just kind of flipping back, if Paul's instruction for us here is to avoid men such as these, we think, ah, that should be pretty obvious. I should be able to, to ferret those out. You know, slow down. It may not be 
as easy as you think because even Satan's servants, they disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In these last days in which we are heading, we need to have wisdom. We need to have wisdom in what we assume. You know, if someone were to come in here and stand up during the family Bible hour and say, you know, I have a prophecy that I would like to say. We don't know that guy. He, he's a visitor, and he comes in and he sits maybe right over here. And, and he stands up and he starts giving a prophecy and he, he wants to tell us something important that the Lord has laid on his heart. It's a, he, and he, he purports it as a prophecy. What would you do? What would I do? <laughs> Sit down. Is that, is that, how would you handle that? How would you, how would you mentally process what's going on? Do, you know, do we know anything about the guy's life? Maybe he has a nice polo, a nice polo shirt that he just got at, at Costco. It's a Kirkland. It, he looks good. And his words are, he's smooth. We don't know anything about that guy. We might say afterwards, or maybe in a more appropriate time, brother, we don't know you. And the scripture says that prophets are to be tested. Don't do that again. Because we don't know you. You need to be tested before you were to do that again. Do you, have, do you and I have discernment in these things? We have only very small snapshots of people. For the engineering nerds like me, the Nyquist criteria says that you should sample at a, at a rate, you know, that's twice the, the frequency of what you're interested to look at. Sorry? If that's free, you can forget that. <laughs> but the, the idea is that we, we meet somebody and talk to them for 10 or 15 minutes and assume that, oh, wow, I'm impressed. <laughs> you don't know them. We need wisdom, don't we? We need wisdom. And so as we maybe look at some of the list, the items in this list, maybe this is the wisdom that the Lord would have for us today is that we look at the list and then we go out of here saying, brethren, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard against the error of unprincipled men that you don't fall from your own steadfastness. If that's the point that we have today for the text. It's interesting, isn't it? The, the text sort of starts with, I've drawn it sort of as this, as this chiasm, this idea that maybe they build up into a, a particular point is a little bit of loosely oriented that way. But it's interesting how the list begins and ends with things that are related to love. One of the first things that we notice about the list is it begins and ends with misplaced love. They're lovers of self and lovers of money. It may not seem like a very big deal, you know, but, it, but it, the misplaced love really begins a slippery slope. You know, if you have, if you're loving self and loving money and loving pleasure like it ends, those are, what are those things? Those are things, those are yourself, but right there in the middle, they're unloving. And so pretty soon, a life that's kind of characterized that way will end up being unloving towards other people. You've met unloving people. They, they usually are interested to talk about themselves 
rather than ask you questions like, how are you doing? If you meet someone and he starts espousing all that he knows, it is, these things sort of do progress, don't we? If someone is wrapped up in themselves, it's only natural that they would be boastful. They would talk about their great feats. They would be arrogant, thinking that you know, their contribution is so critical to everybody's success. And of course, it makes a lot of sense that they would also be revilers. They would want to put others down. There are individuals that are sort of characterized by that. You know what they're against, but it's like, what are, what are they for? You, you hear all the things that they're opposed to, but you hear nothing about what they are actually for. And so it's a slippery slope, isn't it? And then we, we come to this, this next one, which is disobedient to parents. It's like, wow, you know, that, that's in the list. You know, a person who refuse. think about the idea of being under authority. If we sort of abstract it to that idea of, of difficulty with authority, maybe it begins in the home. It begins as a youth in the home. In the, in the way that a child or the way that a, that a teen relates to parents, says, you know what, I, I, you know, I, I, just, I just rebel under the authority of mom and dad. And that progresses. It progresses into the workplace. As a manager in the workplace, you know, you know I have employees. And, you know, I, you, you want them to not just sort of salute you like you're the boss, but you want them to sort of realize that there's a program and they can't just come into work and do whatever they want. To some people, this is a shock. I always do what I want. You can't do what you want. You know, to, to be under authority. When we talk about the word, how do you, I, I know that there's some words and there's some phrases in our text today that when we read them, they have sort of this little bit of nerve reaction in us. If I say the word submission, do, do you get a little like, oh, I just, I just got a crick in my neck. <laughs> you know? It's like, yeah. but there's, there's scope in the scripture for being under submission. You know, these individuals, they come in and they fly solo. They do as they please. Don't even think of counseling and what they should do or something that they should consider. Wayne Barber says this. He says, this trait is the mark of a person who has gangrene of ungodliness in their life and they are poisoned. Get away from them. When you get these folks in the church and they will not submit, look out. How are you going to lead and pastor these individuals? This person will submit to no one. The living will suffer because of the, their gangrene unless they get, a, unless they get away from them. Uh, so, Disobedient to parents, unsubmissive by sort of the application of that I am using it there. The next one is ungrateful. Ungrateful. Uh, there is a, a drought of gratitude in their life. Um, I want to read this quote from uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, who has a lot to say about gratefulness, given the fact that she's a paraplegic. If you and I were to sort of score ourselves in that list, even though the primary interpretation or application is for us to identify those characteristics in people's lives and avoid them, we can't help but look at our own life and say, 
wow, you know, some of those I've got some work to do personally. We can't help but look at the topic of gratefulness and think about some work that we may have to do there. Johnny Erickson Tata says, humans are inclined towards ingratitude. We compare our lot in life with others and either admire them from a distance or burn with envy. We miss the job promotion and collapse in discouragement. We feel overwhelmed with home duties and complain bitterly. People who give up, and probably only Johnny Erickson has the ability to speak this into our life. You know, she was the one who, you know that movie, um, uh, you, uh, I Before You? It was, it was actually a movie that was sort of promoting suicide. Uh, only Johnny Erickson could, in review of that movie, say that people who commit suicide are cowards. And so here's what she has to say. People who give up, and she hasn't, focus on their own suffering and become bitter, having separated God from the suffering that he allows in their life. They forfeit the very grace that God wants to shower on them. Ungratefulness describes the ingratitude that results from taking everything from granted. It's you-owe-it-to-me attitude. They are underappreciative of anything done for their benefit. It's worth noting that in Romans 1.21, Paul noted that ingratitude was second only to dishonoring God. They did not honor him as God nor give thanks as a, as a just case for God's judgment on humanity. Ingratitude is a serious attitude problem because its root issue is reflecting is reflected in one's selfishness and self-centered heart. This type of person, the reason why you would want to stay away from them is that you will catch what they have. It's contagious. It's highly contagious. You think about how contagious COVID is. Bitterness is super contagious. If you're around a person who is continually grousing, who is continually ungrateful, and you hear that day after day after day, you will catch it. And I say that with confidence because the Bible says that you need to be careful about a root of bitterness because by it, many will be defiled. You can't wear a mask and escape being contaminated with bitterness. You will get it. And so your response According to, this, according to our passage today, would be that you should avoid people like that. So if there is someone in your life, and it is day after day, you have two options, and only two options. You need to either address it with them up front, or you need to avoid them and stop seeing them. Those are your two options. Either address it up front or avoid them. And by, oh, I don't want to avoid them, I'm going to witness them. No, avoid them. The, Bible, the passage says to avoid them. Irreconcilable. This is another persistent characteristic of these individuals that we are to avoid. 
And it is a very important characteristic. I've drawn it there somewhat at the center, and I've done that for a couple of reasons. If you think about what Jesus did for us on the cross, he is our reconciliation, right? The Bible says that, that um, he died to reconcile us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. And so this is of primary importance to God, this idea of reconciliation. And God wants us to have a ministry of, rec- of reconciliation because it's what he has done for us. And so to my way of thinking, this belongs right at the apex of this list because people who are irreconcilable, this just, if you talk about that tingling sensation that you get when someone mentions irreconciliation, it's got to give God a real heartbreak because that's what he is all about. And so to basically be living a life that is, that, or having a life that's characterized by being irreconcilable, God is opposed to that just in every way, shape, or form. The word means strictly unwilling to make a treaty, hence irreconcilable, unforgiving, Uh, One who is unwilling to negotiate a solution to a problem involving a second party, irreconcilable. It means hostility which refuses a truce. It's hatred and unforgiveness that is set in cement. And so you can't go through life and not get your feathers ruffled. You really can't. You're going to get your feelings hurt when you are involved with other people. It's going to happen. The question is, will you breathe grace into those situations? Uh, Take a look at this quote from Ken Sandy. He says, Peacemakers are people who breathe grace. They draw continually on the goodness and power of Jesus Christ. And then they bring his love mercy, forgiveness, and strength and wisdom to the conflicts of daily life. God delights to breathe his grace through peacemakers and use them to dissipate anger, improve understanding, promote justice, and encourage repentance and reconciliation. The person who is irreconcilable, their focus is, yeah, but I'm right. They're not going to be the first one to take a look at their own life and say, you know what, I may have been right, but I contributed. (laughs) That's a a crack in the door. It's like, you know, what have I done to contribute to the conflict? Where is the log that is in my own eye? If if that's your mindset, you're not irreconcilable. You you have that, that's the mindset of Christ. It's like, you know what, yeah. Ah, you know, I do. I do contribute to conflict. But to, to have your stake in the ground and not budge, to have, your, um, to have hatred and unforgiveness set in cement and be irreconcilable, you meet people like that. And they say, you know what? I am not going to budge. And, they, and, and not only are they not going to budge, they're going to tell you that they're not going to budge. You know, you want to be careful about how close your friendship is with that individual. Again, you have two options. You can can encourage it and deal with it, but 
you know, when that person comes in and their life is characterized by some of the things that we've been looking at today, Paul's instruction for us, according to this passage, was, would be to avoid such men as these. We go on to self-control. Without self-control, this is the last one in the list that I'm going to look at because, you know, the list is, is you know, it's so interesting to look at all of the elements that are here. And it's just like, wow, it is, it is a, it's a big list. And the, and, the, and the items that are listed there are severe. Um, but, you know, this one is highlighted here. They're without self-control. The, the word literally means they're without strength, which is really kind of interesting. When, when you and I meet someone who is without self-control, or maybe if we have a little bit of, you know, no self-control yourself, we sort of, in some ways, we kind of think about that as, well, you know, uh, kind of like a good thing. Well, they're just wild. You know, they're just, um, you know, they're sort of gregarious and they're just, they're just, they don't have control because they're just wild and strong. But the definition is without strength. The definition is powerless. It reminded me of the book of Proverbs. There's a proverb that says in 25:28 that um, like a city without walls is, is a man who has no control over his spirit. You know, someone who can't control himself is really, he's, he's powerless. He has no, there's no protection. If he can't control his, his temper, if he can't control his attitude, if he has no control over his, his person, he, he is, he's lacking self-control. This is, this is another attribute of the, of the people that Paul is trying to describe here. And when Paul is he's informing Timothy, the, the list is not just to be taken one item at a time. It's to be taken in aggregate. And Paul is informing Timothy, Timothy, I want you to know that difficult days are ahead. And it's not just difficulty in the sense of it's going to be stressful. The word difficulty there means dangerous. It means dangerous. Timothy, I want you to know that dangerous days are ahead. The word can also be defined as fierce. And so I don't know. You know, you look at the list and you think, I don't really know anybody like that. Well, I guess that the message for you and I today would be the secondary application of, well, is there anything on that list that you need to improve on? But the primary interpretation would be, therefore, brethren, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard against the error of unprincipled men, that you not fall from your own steadfastness. So in some sense, it's like, Welcome to church today. I'm giving you a message that's basically saying, hey, you know what? Be on your guard. Well, there's a couple more points that we need to highlight here as we're, as we're looking at things. The next one is their strategy. Their strategy. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. First of all, a comment on what this passage is uh, saying and what it's not saying. The passage isn't somehow demeaning women um, and somehow trying to show that they're inferior to men. Uh, you know, some, if, if I read that passage and, and you see the phrase weak women, it's just like, oh, I knew that about that Christianity stuff. No, don't, don't snap into that. Don't snap into that. You know, in the olden days, you know, there used to be these black things called records. And there was a little needle that would go in the groove, you know. 
and we, and we, and we hit some of these, these phrases like this, weak women, and we, ah, uh, and, and it's all of a sudden, it's, it's like caused this reaction in us, this almost like vinegar and baking soda, and the pressure is increasing. So just hold on before the pressure increases too much. You think about what's being said here. You know, for us to say that, well, women are weak here based on this passage and they're easily, you know, deceived here with this passage. It's almost like, you know, saying that, it's like assuming that when Solomon in the book of Proverbs gives his son instructions on laziness and adultery, that he's showing that men are lazy and adulterers, which is, which is ridiculous. These particular women, how are they described? They're described as uh, weak, they're weighed down with sins, and they're led on by, by various impulses. These are, these are ladies who, if they know the Lord, they're on the peripheral. They're weighed down by sins. They're, they're not walking with the Lord closely. They're, and they're always kind of learning. They're, they're interested in, in something new that may help alleviate their pain and difficulty when perhaps their pain and difficulty is their own sin. And the, and the troubling thing here and the thing that is kind of surprising is that they let the bad guys in. They let the bad guys in. And actually, I shouldn't say guys because that kind of communicates men. Um, the, in the passage above where we have there, it's, it's when it says men in the NASB, if you have ESV and if you have NIV, it's been saying people there. You have people in your Bible. That's because it's anthropos, it's humans. So these, these women who are at home, they're, they're weighed down by various sins. They let people, perhaps another woman, they've, they've let another, someone else come in. And how could that happen? Well, if you would let a stranger in, uh, so perhaps familiarity is part of the idea there, that they're letting in someone who is familiar. You know, it's very interesting. The parallel epistle, 2 Peter, says that there will be false teachers among you. There'll be false teachers among you. So, so, and in fact, actually, even throughout the, uh, the, the book of second, throughout the book of Corinthians, first Corinthians, Paul is dealing with, uh, with difficulties uh, of believers that are among them. If you look about that phrase, among you, you'll find a lot of those coming up in first Corinthians. And so perhaps these individuals are, they're familiar. And so familiarity, you know, shouldn't be, hey, I know this person, they're safe. You need to always have your wisdom about you, don't you? What might be the application for, you know, the ladies in our audience today? Um, the, for the lady, ladies in our audience today, maybe it might be to, you know, main, maintain close uh, fellowship with other godly women. Maybe it might be to know the scriptures, um, to live a holy life. Um, if, you're a ho- if you're a homemaker, you can take action and, and anchor, anchor your, your parenting of your children in scripture. Uh, put the scripture on, decorate your walls with scripture and have the scripture be your bedrock so that you will be unwavering. They're always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know, it's interesting. We're, in our day and age, we're living in the twilight zone. Um, to say anything with certainty is suspect these days. It's almost a badge of honor to say, well, I don't really know. I'm just always, lear- I'm always learning. That's not the message of the Bible. 
The message of the Bible is 1 John 5.13 that says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. The, the message of the Bible isn't so that, well, it'll always be something that you're chasing after and you never really know for sure. That's not the message of the Scripture. The message of the Scripture is that we can rely on what has been written. Proverbs 14.6 says that the scoffer seeks wisdom and finds none. So you and I, as we read our Bible, we can trust what's being written there and know that those are things that we can know for certain. Next, we come to their mission. Their mission. And it gives this description of Janus and Jambres. You won't find them in your Bible. This is Jewish tradition that they were the magicians who basically mimicked what Moses did when Moses was before Pharaoh. You might remember that, you know, Moses had a staff and, and Moses threw the staff on the ground and it turned into a snake. Then Pharaoh said, whoa, I'm scared. Hey, magicians, can you do the same thing? And they did the same thing, apparently. You know, maybe they pulled a snake out of the robe. I don't know. They're magicians, and magicians are pretty, you know, sleight of hand. And, but interestingly enough, that the snake that Moses had on the ground ate the snake that the magicians had on the ground, which is kind of interesting. But don't you find it kind of interesting that, that, that Paul would give this example here at the end? Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, Paul is talking to Timothy, and Paul is looking for an illustration He's looking, and he looks for this Old Testament illustration of Moses. It's like, oh, that's interesting. So these men, they oppose the truth, men of a depraved mind, rejected in regards to the faith. They will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janus and Jambres' folly was obvious to all. Why would Paul conclude this admonition to Timothy to be on his guard against these, the error of these unprincipled men, to borrow words from Second Peter, and to be on guard against them, why would he say, you know, do you remember Janus and Jambres, how they mimicked what Moses did, and how they opposed the truth? I prayed about it, and it, here's what I think. I think, that, I think that Moses was somewhat of a reluctant leader, Moses, I want you to go and I want you to talk to Pharaoh. Moses said, I ain't doing that. Thank you very much. I am slow of speech. God kind of worked with him for a little while there. Um, But he was reluctant, wasn't he? He was a little bit intimidated by going to Pharaoh. And now here we have Timothy. And this is a handoff that's taking place there. And there's some scary guys that are listed there. Thank you very much. Treacherous? No, thank you. Brutal? Keep your distance. And perhaps Timothy was also somewhat of a reluctant leader. Paul would give a number of encouragements to Timothy. Fight the good fight. Kindle afresh the gift. God hasn't given you a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Timothy, remember those guys, Janus and Jambres? Do you remember what happened to them? It didn't go well for them, did it? And Timothy says, I remember that story. I saw it on a flannel graph, and my mom and my grandmother, they showed it to me, and I remember that story well. And Paul says, yeah, it didn't go well for them. Timothy, I want you to remember 
why it didn't go well for them. That there is a God who delivers by his great power and outstretched arm, a real key theme in the book of Exodus. And you know what, Timothy? In the long run, those people that we describe there, they're going to amount to nothing. They will amount to nothing. But you continue in what you have been told. You continue with sound words. You guard that treasure that's been entrusted to you. Do you have confidence in your Christianity? Do you have confidence in your faith? You know, knowing that you have the scriptures, knowing that with confidence you can trust the Lord and his outcome, knowing that you will be living through days that are difficult and maybe even dangerous and maybe even fierce, but knowing whom you have believed and knowing that you can entrust to him your life in all of the circumstances that you must deal with. Well, there you have it. It's a little bit of a, it's a, little bit of a message of warning, a message of, you know, watch out, you know, who you have as your personal friends. Watch out what you assume about other people. Um, be wise. Don't be unloving towards other people. Don't kick other people out just because you see some difficulty in their life and run away from them. I mean, we're told to be loving, but be careful who you allow in your inner circle. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this warning that we have from Timothy. Uh, We pray that you would help us to remember the things that we have been instructed here. I pray that you help us to live with confidence, our faith. Uh, Lord, thank you for all that you have Uh, done for us and all that you will do for us. Lord, um, I confess that uh, difficulty is something that is hard to deal with at times, but I pray that you would help us to have staying power and to trust you in the midst of it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.